people are like, I, I see that you recommend marshmallows as part of the protocol. The protocol has grown into something that neither of us can control. Like, I don't think either of us even know what it is. <laughs> like, someone goes, I'm following the propane protocol. I go, all right. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> I've got a problem. I know. I, I, bought, I bought these um, about a year ago, and they're both horrible. And the macros are awful as well. Dom used to love those. Loved them. Did he? Mm-hmm. You could give them to him. Oh, man. Just throw them away, man. <sighs> Sun- sunk cost yeah. policy. <laughs> Issue. Really awful macros. Just fat, fat and carbs. 3.3 gram protein per 100. <laughs> uh, 51.5 grams carbs. 40 grams fat. <laughs> There's no situation where you'd arri- where you'd arrive at that at the the ratios of fat and carbs m- remaining where you would think I know I'll have some banoffee butter from half, <laughs> half, half a teaspoon of this stuff. <laughs> You're more likely to think like I'll just have some miniature heroes. I'll I'll have three Oreo ice creams yeah. that equate like a tablespoon of that. Yeah. So. Before the inevitable happens, what episode is this? Six. Oh, my goodness. Six. I think it's six. Confidence. Sure. Bug down. Bug bug down. Right, so number one is... Fat burners. Juicy. Juicy, juicy myth. So, do you want to do the introduction? Or shall I? You last. You've just written something to me. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Hi everyone, welcome to the Propane Fitness Podcast. We think... And we're pretty sure that this is episode five. So, um, <laughs> what we were going to do is talk about RPE, but we decided that since that, since our last two video logs were pretty much entirely on that subject, we thought we'd do something a bit more interesting. Um, and also, all you can really say is you you lift weights until it gets hard, and then you stop. So that's that's RPE. Um, so. We had, um, a, a couple of weeks ago, we posted a Facebook status saying that we were going to start a new series called Propane versus Hype, and we had a couple of people write in and say some myths that they want us to bust. So, firstly, Yusuf, why, why don't you say hi? Hello, everyone. <laughs> are we ready to bust some myths? I think we I are. I think we are. It's time. Okay, so myth number one is fat burners. <laughs> Well, it's not a myth, that's a thing. They, they they definitely still exist as a supplement. So, Yusuf, what do you think about fat burners? Okay, um, this is really just echoing uh, the guys from examine.com and Subversity, who are both uh, very clever guys, very well-versed in the pharmacology of supplements. The general consensus is that the only fat burners that really work are either illegal 
Um, so clenbuterol, any kind of amphetamine-related compound, or caffeine, and everything else is kind of hit and miss. The other ones in the limelight would be yohimbine, uh, which Eric Helms has pointed out that uh, that's actually used to induce panic attacks in uh, <laughs> patients with anxiety. So um, probably not a good idea to use it long term. Personally, I just use caffeine and mainly from mm-hmm. coffee, sometimes from uh, green tea extract. Can't argue with any of that. Um I definitely think that the situation where you know you're, you're quite lean, nearly nearly full abs, already pretty obsessed with food, quite neurotic about weighing everything, how much you weigh, the gym, and you think, you know what, I'm going to take a supplement that might give me a panic attack. That'll help. Which yeah. kind of takes will elevate my heart rate and blood pressure um, <laughs> while I'm already. Feeling fragile. Pretty stressed out, as it is. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose I should, we should also say that, like, one caveat is that no fat burner, um, unless you're taking something that's, like, horrifically strong, is, is going to do the work for you. And the best fat burner of all, in fact, the only fat burner, <laughs> this is a calorie deficit. Correct. So, yeah, I think... Um, if you look at it as a fat burner is trying to positively affect the equation, the calories in, calories out equation, however much you agree or disagree with that model as a as a way of describing weight loss or gain, ultimately you have to be in a in a deficit position. And by taking a by taking a fat burner, you are just trying to increase the magnitude of that deficit. So, really, as as Yusuf says, most of them are kind of herbs and like natural compounds given given their full name which makes them seem really complicated and seem really advanced but stick with caffeine stick with coffee stick with a calorie deficit and add cardio as needed i guess if you consider how tightly regulated the homeostatic mechanisms are for metabolism uh if you were to take something which you know at best is going to boost your metabolism by three percent you could create a much larger and much more consistent and measurable deficit just through calorie restriction i fully believe you could get absolutely shredded without the need for any kind of fat burner or supplement or caffeine at all yep i'd fully agree so i guess the conclusion with that is um most of them won't do that <laughs> <laughs> conclusion is caffeine's a good idea most of the things are either banned or illegal so stay in a calorie deficit really for a long enough time until you get lean similar sort of idea on, on the next myth which is test boosters oh dear i know oh no okay see yeah cool. i think the the place that both of these questions are coming from is a place of farting about in the dark um Ultimately, like, if you're worried about your testosterone, are you in a consistent deficit and you're trying to lose fat, or are you in a consistent surplus training four times a week? Um, Have you got all of the basics nailed down? Have you had your blood tested? If not, then you've got much bigger fish to fry than your testosterone. Yeah, very, very well put. Um, Addressing the, the testosterone boosters... 
you know, all those aside, let's say you have, you have, you know, you've, you, you, your calories are correctly calculated and on the right side of where they need to be, you're progressively training three, four times a week and working towards some kind of goal and you've had your blood tested and it, it is on the low end of normal. Um, most testosterone boosters that you're going to be able to buy, I'm going to say in a shop because online's a bit different. Um, most testosterone boosters that you're going to buy in a shop, so Tribulus, um, Horny Goat Weed, I'm blanking past that to be honest. Those are the main ones. Um, they're going to have such a small effect on testosterone levels that you're not going to influence it past what is already a no within the normal range. On the other end of the spectrum, we've got the herbal things, uh, Tribulus and Fenugreek and these kind of um, products that unlikely to make a, a really significant effect on your testosterone. On the other hand, you've got uh, pro-hormones that really do work and you'll, you know, you'll gain a lot of muscle in a short time. You'll also probably fail the drugs test. Um, and effectively what, what these products, things like Superdrol, are basically designer steroids that have, that have got some kind of added functional group. So it's no longer the same naughty compound in its normal form, but when, once you consume it, um, it metabolizes into the same thing. Uh, so equivalent to something like Anovar or Winstrol. So, if, I mean, if you're going to go down that route, just be aware that you you may as well be taking, you know, illegal steroids. Um, to I would personally just steer well clear of them because these kind of products, are, they're quite new, they're untested, um, they may even be laced with genuine anabolics. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that if you were to compare, say, um, so I think it's epistane in Havoc, that'd be right. That's a, it's a really common one. That's kind of um, commonly compared to, if you were to do a, a Google search on, on the Havoc product, you'd get that commonly compared to Anavar. Um people comparing the effects and generally the conclusion is that the results are quite similar. Um, but you are still comparing something which is granted. One of them is, is, is legal. You can buy it. It's available in shops. It's available online. The other one is illegal, but one of them has been around for much longer, relatively speaking. And the other one is still relatively unresearched. We don't know what it's going to do. We aren't really familiar with the side effects, but both of them would need, to be treated as though they were a steroid and post-cycle therapy. And so as Yusuf says, if you're going to do something like that, that is the decision of, do I take steroids? Yes or no. Rather than, shall I take this testosterone booster? Because that might mean I add 10 kilos to my bench and that would be cool. So it's a, it's a much bigger decision than I can, you know, click add to cart and, and take that for a month. Um, yeah, exactly. So yeah. Um, I mean, the things like epistain, just see them as, actual testosterone rather than testosterone booster yeah and if you're prepared to go down that route then fine but it's not something we'd recommend yeah and the the ones that are legal generally aren't going to do anything really or they, they may but nothing you'll notice one of the most potent i mean it's not really a booster of testosterone because boost implies to take something uh from normal to super physiological levels but yep. if you're not getting enough sleep or if you're deficient in any micronutrients, that will have a effect on your testosterone. 
the best thing you can do naturally is to make sure that you're getting seven to eight hours of sleep and that you're not deficient in any micronutrients. Yep. Okay, on to the next myth, and that is GOMAD, which is the acronym oh. for <laughs> Gallon of Milk a Day. Um, so, um, if we just look at this outside of the 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 kind of the the acronym that's that's built up the associations with it, um, I know it's commonly associated with starting strength. Mark Ripito, um, you, you're drinking a gallon of milk a day. This <laughs> is the is the conclusion. Um, the reason that people suggest that you do that is an easy, convenient way of adding calories to your diet. Um, again, Google search GoMad. You tend to see people who get results, which mean that they get fat in quite a short period of time. So I think as, as is the case with fat burners and test boosters, GoMad something that you should you know, take a step back from and think, why am I going to start drinking a gallon of milk a day? Do I, is it that my current calorie intake is at such a level where I feel so full all all the time that I can't increase my food intake, but my weight is not increasing. I think it, that is the only point at which something like GoMad or adding liquid calories beca- then becomes a viable option. And I genuinely think that there are not that many people who are in that position where that their their food intake is at such a level where that simply couldn't be increased first rather than going and drinking a gallon of milk, which is a, is a fixed quantity of milk per day, and then possibly shooting them far over what they need in terms of calories and just resulting in fat gain, which is something that nobody wants. So I've just done a quick calculation. Um, <laughs> one- one gallon of whole milk is 4.7 litres wow. uh, in the UK, which equates to 6,110 calories of <laughs> milk. So, <laughs> so, I had no idea. So this idea of go mad, like, let, let's assume that you have someone who's struggling to gain weight. So they're, they're eating, you know, really conservatively 2,000 calories of food a day, and they decide to add in a gallon of whole milk a day. This is to support a otherwise sedentary lifestyle, apart from 45 minutes of lifting three times a week. Now, from a straight up you know, logical perspective, <laughs> you think 8,110 calories <laughs> per day <laughs> is like sufficient or maybe more than necessary to, I mean, um, I've actually done go mad, so I, I, I can't mock this too hard. Um, I did it when I was about 17 or 18, along with the squats and milk diet. Uh, and it was just, it was horrific. Like my bowels just became this eruption for about six weeks. Um, it, you, you start getting spots and things. I mean, um, genuinely there's much more fun ways to eat 8,000 calories a day. If you were going to go down that route. (laughs) It it kind of, comes back to the the idea that um when you first start training you need to eat everything and, and anything in order to grow um which is an idea that i think is is kind of battered around the to people who just start training it's you know i'll make sure you're getting enough protein make sure you're getting enough calories um most people 
when they first start training. I think this is this is where Gomad is targeted at. Is generally the the I've been training for for one year, two years, maybe less. Um, generally, those people can progress just fine on um, a very moderate, very average calorie intake, assuming protein is sufficient. So then, then jumping in and saying, "All right, you know what? I'm not progressing. Let's add six thousand calories from milk." Um, it's uh, you know, it's extreme, is what it is, and completely unnecessary. Yeah, absolutely. And um, if someone's say someone's metabolic rate is two thousand, and they eat eight thousand calories a day within a week, they're estimated to gain twelve pounds of body weight in a week, mm. which would be forty eight pounds of body weight in a month. So about 20 kilos of body weight in a month um, i think you, given the, you know a kilo of muscle a month is a is a serious weight rate of muscle gain really really serious so yeah if, yeah if you want to gain 20 odd kilos of fat with your kilo of muscle then gomad is the way to go um but <laughs> um unless then that's kind of elite sumo wrestling is your goal then uh, i think there are other ways to do it um, just as an example, propane protocol would be would be a great alternative. <laughs> right. Um, oh, this is a this is a hot topic. This one, gluten free. Um, I've not read the most recent research that's come out saying that actually that the people who brought us the evidence for gluten free are now now seem to be retracting that statement. So I'm I'm not prepared to comment on that specifically, but well, I mean, what well, what do you think, Yusuf? Have you read that study? Um, I'm going to be honest; it's exam season at the moment, and I've I've seen the study being thrown around. I haven't yeah. read the full. Th- uh, from from the from what I got from it, it's uh, they split people into several groups and somehow double blinded them, and uh, the participants experienced bloating and nausea and stuff from all of the diets, whether they contain gluten or not, yeah. um, suggesting that the whole idea of the non-celiac gluten intolerance is uh, a myth, basically. And I, I actually, I feel sorry for people who are genuinely celiac and will die if they have gluten, because their diet has just been hijacked by a bunch of like people who now they're just going to be seen as like a bit fussy, um, <laughs> having a, a genuine medical problem. Um, but it's worth reading the study yourself if you're interested. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, a, it's strange because it's, uh, so the common, uh, the common recommendation for somebody who thinks they're allergic to gluten is an elimination diet. And I, that's something that, that both of us have tried. Um, I know several people who've tried it and the, the thing that people always find is they reintroduce gluten and they get some kind of response to it. Um, I think that that was consistent with with definitely with what we experienced at least. Um, yep. So, is it the case that actually Yusuf and I are allergic to gluten, or is it just a case of adjusting your internal environment so that you're removing the ability to cope with gluten, then reintroducing something that you've not eaten for two weeks, three weeks, or a month? It's 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 difficult to tell. I don't know in that specific study whether they did blood work analysis and whether they said even with the the people who weren't eating gluten but were still getting a response and the people who were eating gluten, are we getting a an immune response at a at a blood level, at a cellular level? I don't know. Or is it just a, a 
a subjective measure of do I feel uncomfortable when I've eaten this meal? I'm assuming you, you don't know. Uh, I'm not sure. We don't know. So um, this, I mean, the same thing goes with um, lactose as well. Yeah. Where, as Johnny said, like you'll if you eliminate dairy entirely from your diet uh, over that period, you, you there's no stimulus to break break down lactose, so you downregulate your lactase enzyme in your small intestine, and then when you reintroduce it, especially in large quantities, um, then you have a, a an exaggerated reaction to it. So it's not the best test of whether you're intolerant or not. Yeah. Well, I think, um, you know, even with, so, so as an example, I had a, um, a blood test done, which, which actually came out that I was allergic to gluten, like gluten and other grains, eggs, oats, tomatoes, all milk. In fact, all, all dairy products, including, I think, um, goat's milk as well. So, if I if it is the case that I am allergic to all of those on a day to day basis, I consume seventy five percent of the foods I've just mentioned and experience zero gastric discomfort. So if it is the case that I am allergic to them, um, I don't I don't experience enough discomfort to um, incentivize me to do anything about it, and I'm not holding enough stock in in what I'm getting from the blood the blood test to incentivize me to completely overhaul my diet and i think that's the that's the situation that most people are in where they're, they're eliminating gluten or dairy because an article is telling them to when in actual fact they can eat bread and they're, they're just fine well so if you're allergic to all of that stuff then the only thing you can really eat is uh, crisps and pickles isn't it so yeah that's true um macros aren't no I, ideal well, i can have that I can have pea protein, rice, pea protein, rice protein, hemp protein, maybe. Okay. So I mean, I've got loads of options there. <laughs> as we all know, those three forms are really tasty as well. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> and hemp protein powder does not taste anything like grass either, which is great. Well, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I made I made an argument in in one of my recent articles, which just said that in order for, like, logically speaking ignoring all of the, the science behind it in order for for glute, you know going gluten-free to be a logical choice you have to be experiencing discomfort that outweighs the negative side effects that you're going to have in your life of not never eating gluten again so never being able to reasonably go out to most restaurants having to always bring your lunch with you wherever you go always you know has that has that bit of beef touch some bread at some point oh my god <laughs> Um, so yeah, I, I think I, mo most people that, that we've spoken to about it aren't in crippling pain when they eat gluten. Um, they, they are told by the paleo community that, that they think that, that gluten is a bad thing. And I think there's also this, this idea that gluten's preventing fat loss, which I don't, I don't personally believe it may be the case for some people, you know, celiacs may may have some kind of inflammation to the extent that it's affecting digestion and affecting metabolism but i don't well what do you think you saw um in the case of celiac if it's if it's bad then um it, it could even be a fatal response to yeah to, so i guess that would affect their ability to lose fat <laughs> um, to an extent um 
Yeah, in, in general, I think scaremongering is a very easy thing to do. And uh, if you read an article written by a hypochondriac, uh, these kind of things generate a lot of momentum very easily. There's a brilliant video of, um, what's his name, Jimmy... The, he's a talk show host in America, and he goes around oh, yeah. asking people um, who are on gluten-free diets, what is gluten? And hardly anyone knows what it is. So I think that's kind of testament to the fact that these the, the paleo scaremongering has, has really um, generated a frightening amount of momentum. Yeah. Well, it's, it sells ebooks, and eat, you know, eat a calorie deficit and train hard doesn't. So... That kind of helps the momentum of anything like that, whether it be lactose or gluten or saturated fat or carbs. Like, because there's a magic bullet. There's one yeah. thing that if yeah. that killing you if you when you're eating it, and if you stop doing that, then you'll be jacked and lean. Yeah, I guess you know if you're worried about gluten hindering your fat loss, try losing fat while eating gluten. If you don't lose fat, make a change. Try losing fat without eating gluten and see if there's any difference. If you're worried about gluten from a health point of view, go and see your doctor, go and see a medical professional and see what they advise with regards to testing to see if you have a gluten intolerance rather than saying, okay, for the rest of my life from this day onwards, I'm never going to eat gluten again because it's a, it's a pretty boring, pretty limited way of life really. And the goal is to be as, as flexible as possible while still allowing you to reach your like fat loss and physique goals. So, gluten myth busted, would you say? Absolutely. Smashed. Oh, God. Paleo. <sighs> Similar thing. Isn't we've, it? Yeah, we've, we've kind of answered that, really. Well, paleo is just... You can't really argue with paleo. Like It's just eating meat and fish and vegetables, which is fine. If that's what you want to do. <laughs> it's just advice. I mean, it, it is, yeah. <laughs> you can eat meat and fish and vegetables if you want. Yeah, I mean, you, you're unlikely to, um, you know, if you if you if all of your protein comes from animal sources and you're getting plenty of vegetables and plenty of fruit, as long as your macronutrient intake is sensible, and you're not getting thirty grams of protein for three hundred grams of fat or something like that, then I see no issue with it. Where where it falls down, in my view, is the lack of flexibility, and <coughs> the lack of application in a in a social context in in the modern world. You know, not not many places that you would go to eat would serve a paleo meal. Very few. Yeah, I think um, it it's hard to argue with paleo because it, it's not totally retarded. In the no. if you're someone. Um, to eat all of their food coming from, I don't know, uh, are pulses allowed on paleo? Some would say yes, some say and no. It depends I guess. on the on the, the tier of paleo in which you're operating. Oh, okay. How how hardcore a paleo yeah. man you are? <laughs> but um, yeah. So if you tell someone to eat vegetables, fish, and meat all day to uh, ad libitum, so up to you know to match your appetite, and then you tell someone else eat candy floss, burgers, and Coke. Um, <laughs> add them. Like, the second person is going to gain more fat, not because of some kind of magical evolutionary explanation, but purely because the second bunch of foods are just not as filling, not as satiating. So um, 
that's the only magic in paleo really is just kind of they've self-selected foods that are more satiating lower in calorie density and that's how it works really yeah it's it's food that's naturally occurring rather than food which is well some foods it's argued are designed to almost increase hunger so yeah if, if you're eating um candy floss and, and coke as your uh carb sources then you're probably not going to feel that full even after say a thousand calories um if you were to try and do the same from spinach and broccoli you're not going to get through that much broccoli this is speaking from experience you're not going to get through that much broccoli before you're really really full we've tried yeah we have <laughs> Even even if you turn broccoli into soup, it's still say, extremely satiating. So, yeah, I mean that if if you make the decision, I I don't want to track my macros, I don't want to track my calories. That's that's too much effort, too much micromanaging. Paleo as a as an ideology, as it were, is a great thing to to get into and follow. But as long as you don't let it become an all-consuming idea that you think that if all of a sudden you eat a muffin, the the world will implode, your life will end, and that's it. You've eaten a muffin, so now you can go and raid the cheesecake factory. Because um, I think it does create that that black and white, on or off, type thinking. If you feel susceptible to that, you could always follow my approach of employing cauliflower as an ideology. I had. <laughs> around a kilo or a kilo and a half of cauliflower a day during my last diet. Uh, so I, I fully adopted that as my ideology and raison d'etre, and <laughs> it, it worked very well for me. So no paleo required if you were to follow that approach. Makes a great pizza base, kilo of cauliflower. Makes a great rice, makes a great pudding, uh, makes a great smoothie. <laughs> Mash, <laughs> it doesn't mashed really. potato. Potato. <laughs> yeah, it is. Although mysteriously, cauliflower, a kilo of cauliflower has about 30 grams of protein in. It's very strange. Very strange indeed. More, more than a chicken breast. <laughs> so, don't, don't eat paleo, just eat cauliflower. I think that's the, um, that's the summary to that myth. Well, don't just eat cauliflower, embrace cauliflower as the, <laughs> as the foundation of your existence. Well, okay, so I, let's let's explain why why cauliflower. What put you into that headspace where you thought, I need to now embrace the cauliflower, let cauliflower be part of my life and accept that <laughs> cauliflower is going to be part of my life for, for some time to come. Talk us through what happened, you sir. <laughs> when you're dieting to single digits, as you can see from this article I wrote up recently about this, you find yourself gravitating to foods that are more satiating. And so I think cauliflower is one of those foods that you're going to physically fill up your stomach quicker than um, any other food. So there's just, there just isn't room for anything else. And uh, it, the texture, the... Um, yeah, I like to hold it in my arms a little bit first, just kind of cuddle it. it, it really, it, it's a companion as well as a food. And so I, I can't recommend it enough. It's worth saying that 
you know, one of cauliflower's relatives, which is broccoli, of course. Um, Yusuf had a, another similar obsession to broccoli, with broccoli. Um, but this was in in the context of making soup from broccoli, which was it was coming from the same the same point of view of you know how many how much satiety can I get from X amount of calories. But the running theme is high volume, low calorie foods. Um, Yusuf was nearly life threateningly lean. And uh, it had been on, you know, the 17, 18 week diet. So, but it's, it's still following the same idea that, that paleo is trying to bring across, which is um, unprocessed whole foods generally, especially vegetables tend to be very like satiating for the calories they provide. So I think that's the, that's really the take home point, isn't it? From paleo. You know, in all seriousness, eating, low calorie density sort of large volume foods does provide some stimulation of the, the vagal nerve so there are some mechanoreceptors in the stomach that affect postprandial ghrelin suppression and metabolic output so basically having foods that are higher volume will have a direct effect on metabolism provided the calories are the same okay knowledge bomb knowledge bomb um Intra-workout carbs. Great. Great idea. Yeah, if you're doing an endurance sport, then oh, okay. have at it. But otherwise, like, I've seen people with, like, a bag of Skittles in the gym, which is fine if you want to eat Skittles and you just love to eat while you train, but there's no, I wouldn't say there's any functional benefit to it, provided you've had a meal within a few hours of yeah. training. Yeah. I think a pretty good application of intra-workout carbs is the situation I'm in a lot of the time is training within 45 minutes to an hour of, of waking up. So I train at 7am generally. Um, if that happens, if you're in that situation, it's pretty difficult to get a meal in two hours before you train. You know, I'm not, I'm not about to set my alarm an hour early so I can wake up, eat my you know, the, my bodybuilder's breakfast of oats and egg whites and then go back to sleep again. So instead what I do is when I wake up, start eating a bag of Skittles when I wake up um, <laughs> and have that with BCAs or whey um, and a coffee. That's my uh, high-tech peri-workout protocol. Um, Skittles, but, coffee. Skittles, whey. coffee and whey. But if you don't want to do that, if you either don't have time or don't have the appetite in the morning. Um, we'd always suggest having BCAs or some kind of fast digested protein if you're going to train or try and train fasted. So if you're going to do that and you want to have some carbs around training, throw some dextrose powder or maltodextrin in the shake. Um, but it, it comes back to you're then drinking some of your carb allotment for the day you're drinking more calories than if you just had BCAs or just had whey. Um, you could just have the carbs as a post-workout meal. It's I think that's how I view it, is from a standpoint of calories are currency, macros are currency, so spend them wisely rather than chucking 100 grams of dextrose in your shake because you, you think it's anabolic. But equally, nothing wrong with intra-workout carbs, um, especially if, as Yusuf says, you're a long-distance runner or a a competitive cyclist or something like that. It's a bit. Or if you're just 
like food and uh, yeah. and you'd rather drink that. I mean, that, that sound, I said that slightly tongue-in-cheek, but um, there are cases when someone would rather just, like, drink down some liquid calories, you know, the same kind of person that wants to do go-mad, I guess. <laughs> I mean, you know, from the same point of view, end of last year, I was on every day 500 grams of carbs. Um, and as nice as that may sound to some people, that gets pretty tedious. Um, especially when, you know, so it was 500 grams of carbs, 70 grams of fat, um, which kind of typical macros tend to be set up in a, a roughly those ratios. You know, you tend to have fat set as a percentage of calories and then carbs tend to be ramped up or, or, or ramped down depending on deficit or surplus. So if you're in a situation like that where you've got this like heavy carbohydrate diet, and it's difficult to get that in a balanced way from the food that you like, then doing something like having some dextrose in your in your pre-workout, post-workout shake might just help adjust the balances for that so that when you then go and eat a meal, it's not you don't end up with 120 grams of carbs left at the end of the day and you find yourself, you know, adding more sugar to your water. <laughs> Whatever yeah. you do at night. <laughs> well, um, yeah. So, so basically, there are two sides of the coin. In that, what we were saying about satiety and uh, low calorie density foods. Uh, if you are struggling to hit your calorie goals for the day, slightly more rare um, situation, but it still happens. the The same study that pointed towards the vagal stimulation, the mechanoreceptors in the stomach, shows that a bunch of participants which are given a food substitution of the same volume, but a, an increased density of calories, that usually resulted in increased intake of calories overall. Um, so we can either do, I think we should do this as one. So the, the, the post that I made originally was about bulletproof coffee. Um, somebody has also asked about the magical fat burning breakfast of bacon and nuts. So I guess maybe we should explain those two things quickly. Um, Bulletproof coffee, Dave Asprey's idea. Um, it's upgraded coffee beans, in inverted commas. That's a product that he sells, which is coffee beans that are supposedly um, free of mycotoxins that he claims accumulate in most coffee that is produced today. Um, you then mix that with MCT oil and um, grass-fed butter. Bacon and nuts is... I assume referring to the polyquin breakfast of meat and nuts, where you rotate a, a nut sauce and a, and a meat sauce every day. And the idea being that it kind of sets up this optimal neural hormonal environment for mental performance and fat loss. So they're both kind of coming from the same idea that um, there's this thing that you can do in the morning that involves eating calories. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> there's a um there's a protocol that exists whereby if you eat calories you will then burn more calories throughout the day so you will you'll put so because you've eaten avoided carbs or you've eaten certain types of fat or certain combinations of fat and protein you will um, accelerate fat burning throughout the rest of the day and then there's also the the, the mental aspect of that which is that um, particularly Dave Asprey's idea with the, the upgraded coffee um, is it's creating this kind of 
potent mental environment that allows you to perform really well past lunchtime and into the afternoon. So those that's a quick summary of the ideas. Um, I've tried Bulletproof Coffee. I don't think Yusuf has. Is that right? I've tried coffee with MCT and butter, but not, oh, okay. the, well, that not was, the official. Okay. <clears throat> well, that, that's good enough. So what was your experience of that? Um, fine, but it would be very hard to say whether mental performance was any better than if I'd just had a coffee without 40 grams of fat in it. <laughs> yeah. I think I, I had the same, the exact same experience. Um, I've tried the coffee that Dave Asprey sells and I guess in summary, it's, it's very nice coffee. Um, disproportionately expensive, but very nice. And I do notice a slightly, you know, it, it tastes like a strong coffee and you respond to it how you would expect a strong coffee. So you notice elevated heart rate and distinct mental clarity, whether that's due to the lack of mycotoxin in the coffee or whether it's just that it's a higher caffeine content. I obviously can't say, um, the, the, the butter and the coconut oil or the butter and the MCT, um, I was hungry by about, so I, I used about 20 grams of, of fat from, from both of those sources. I was hungry before lunchtime. Um, when Yusuf and I discussed this, I said that the conclusion that I'd kind of reached with it was that to get this this potent um, hunger suppressing effect mm-hmm. from it, you'd have to be using quite a lot of fat in your in your morning <clears throat> coffee. Um, if you... That's not something that I can even conceive of while you know dieting into very low levels of body fat or trying to maintain that. Uh, and using up all of your fat intake in the morning is just something that would really uh, make the day a lot more difficult. Yeah. And also, it's very, like, I don't know about you, but I don't wake up in the morning thinking, oh, I really fancy some mm. meat. <laughs> or I really fancy some butter in my coffee this morning. Uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, the Bulletproof Coffee kind of made as prescribed is actually, it's quite nice. Um, it's, but it's not, it's, it's similar to how I feel about like a, a large, extra large strawberries and cream frappuccino from Starbucks, like quite a nice drink, but 600 calories and probably wouldn't choose that as my intake for the day. So did I, did I like Bulletproof coffee? Did I think it, I, did I feel quite good afterwards? Yep. But I feel quite good after like porridge and whey. So I don't know why I would specifically choose the the fat and the coffee over that. And then the point Yusuf was making was, let's say you're on reasonable macros. Um, you've got between, let's say, 50 and 100 grams of fat to have for that day. And you're going to have 75% of that in a drink in the morning. It then affects and impacts not only the the social flexibility that you have for the rest of the day, but also the food choices that you're forced to make in order to hit your macros. If you're following Dave Asprey's approach and you're just kind of eating to satiety, very specific foods, sure it fits, but um, that kind of comes back to what we were saying with the, the paleo idea and are you doing it so that you can just have a lifestyle that you don't have to count calories and count macros or are you doing it as part of a, you know, a calorie controlled deficit or surplus in which you're trying to manipulate your physique so 
I think, in summary, we're not really a fan. So we've both tried it or variations of it, and I think had the same, the same experience, which is that it's, it's a lot of fat to have when you wake up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's not bad. Is it same with paleo? Like, there's there's nothing like actively bad about these things. It's just that you know, is it the most efficient way to get to your goal? Does it provide a whole amount of extra value? And if the answer is no, then there we go. Well, yeah, your approach should be as, as simple as it can possibly be while still progressing. So if you have a breakfast that you enjoy eating, or even if you don't want to eat breakfast, that should be tried first. And if that doesn't work, then experiment with these sorts of things. Um, the the magical fat-burning breakfast of bacon and nuts. Yeah, it's, it sounds like it's the same kind of principle as the, the bulletproof coffee. Uh, I might be completely wrong there. No, I mean it's a yeah, it's a similar idea. Um, so Poliquin's idea is that, um, you know, I, I'm I'm remembering an article that I read several years ago, but from what I understand, he argues that the the, the way that the, the eating the eating the protein from the meat affects your neurotransmitters and metabolism in a positive way, unlike carb sources or dairy sources. Um, and then the nuts is a form of, um, slow digesting energy is basically how he describes it. So the idea of behind the meat and the nut, the meat nuts combination is that you're, you're getting like a a hit of protein upon waking and then an energy source that's going to allow you to remain satiated for at least until lunchtime. Um, I think shreddies have a similar claim, but, uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so um i've tried it i've tried the the, the rotation of, of meat and nuts throughout several weeks and the conclusion that i reached was similar to if you just remove carbs from your morning meal um some people i think find i think i'm one of these people that if you just eat protein and fat in the morning it does pretty good things for your hunger throughout the rest of the morning some people find that having carbs suppresses hunger. So it's just a case of personal experimentation, really. I don't think there's any inherent fat burning quality from any meal combination at any time of the day. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> Yusuf gave yeah. that careful consideration there and agrees wholeheartedly. <laughs> yeah, nothing to add on that, really. All right. Wow, what a what a myth busting session that was. Um, and that was with with zero preparation as well on our part. We just read that from Facebook, so apologies if that was a little um, if our points were a little disorganised. But these are things that we get asked a lot about, and particularly the the gluten free, paleo points. Um, so yeah, we hope that. Um, our perspective was was useful and or entertaining and uh that's everything for the propane podcast episode oh <laughs> it's five or six um one of the two, one of the two. we always We're get it wrong so many complaints now no, no, no. people can be like i can't believe you got it wrong <laughs> i was i was really you always hoping. get it wrong it's never right <laughs> 
I save I save them on my iPod and I listen to them every morning and you got it wrong, you got the order wrong. Never listening again. Alright. <laughs> Alright. So until next time, thanks everyone and bye from Johnny and Yusuf at Propane Fitness.